0: Welcome to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host Henry Cross. It gives me great pleasure to welcome regular co-host to What's Making News, Russell Handy. Welcome, uh, Russell. Thanks, Henry. What a what a, a weather pattern we're experiencing this week. I mean, if people check this particular What's Making News out in years to come, on we can tell them on that in. Uh, Thursday, Friday, October 13, 14 of 2022, Melbourne's going through a very, very wet cycle of extremely wet weather, and all our dams are already full, which hasn't happened for a long, long time. What's it like up there in the gully?
1: Well, as we're doing this, that's just been drizzling. We're still waiting for the uh, big onslaught on Thursday night, uh, apparently, aren't we, late afternoon. The country people that you worry about, of course, with the rivers and creeks, They're, Mm. they're... the reports are still coming in now that they're becoming isolated, some of them. Yes. Mm, in the range yeah. Of what?
0: yeah. Mm. And I noticed the other night that the Thompson Dam, which is which is huge and is rarely full, I think it I think it's actually going to be full at the moment, it'll or in the next day or so, for the first time in about just under thirty years. That's yes. quite amazing, isn't it? And the is already getting to the spillway stage, mm. I understand. Another one that's Really? Oh, yes,
1: look! The figures are all in the nineties, and some are really? on a hundred uh, yeah. even. And uh, like the Cardinias, the smaller ones are even quite full. And Maroon does a, a, a top a full. And flowing over, I think, so it's all uh, happening.
0: Yeah, and there's more rain to come, which is we've got to the point we've had more than enough. Anyway, what's news? We've got some very fascinating topics, Russell. The age, it's alive, cyborg brain pings an AI pathway. I saw that heading and I thought, my goodness, we have to have this in. You know, yeah. In a world first, Melbourne-based scientists have trained a dish of human brain cells to play the video game Pong. Goodness gracious me, we are making amazing advances in science and medicine, aren't we?
1: We are indeed, and for those who don't know, and I was one of them until I read this, Pong is a table tennis-themed sports video game featuring simple 2D graphics, came out by Atari many years ago, it consists of one moving spot, two paddles, and digits for scorekeeping, so it is a virtual table tennis
0: game hmm now now the cyborg brain tell us about that that's that which is what they they think they created it's amazing isn't it
1: that's right it's sort of a petri dish brain you could say almost mm. the cyborg brain cell contains fewer neurons than a bumblebee's brain uh, and but it does show signs of what they call of sentience now sentience means not consciousness or it's a capacity for sensation or feeling but this they don't have consciousness apparently they Somehow, been able to distinguish the difference there. Now, the researchers grew a, a layer of human neurons, uh, placed them on the top of an electrode array, and connected them to Pong. Now, the electrical impulses uh, to the neurons represented where the ball was. Now, signals from the neurons moved the paddle up and down. Now, cells that hit the ball consistently after 20 minutes were better at the game than cells getting no feedback. Now. Uh, that's the evidence, therefore, perhaps is that neurons build networks, reorganizing and can actually learn. Uh, and Professor David Winkler of Monash University says it, it's really an exciting start uh, and people will build on this. They're also calling a dish brain, <laughs> and it has uh, no immediate uh, ethics concerns apparently uh, about uh, doing stuff with it. And apparently they're going to now investigate the effect of alcohol on the performance uh, of these neurons
0: amazing now this development according to professor anton van den hengel the founding director of the australian institute for machine learning russell says it's a it's a big development uh, for artificial biological neural networks but its ai remains far less intelligent than animals And that's in part because of the enormous amount of computing power and electricity the most powerful models need. Biological computers don't have that limitation because neurons are so energy efficient, Van den Hengel said. So we're a little ways off artificial intelligence actually overtaking us, Russell.
1: Yes, the technology's not quite there in these big computers. I'd like to on. I remember the first IBM computers in the late 40s, I think, were huge. They took up a whole room, didn't they? Now you can get them in the palm of your hand. So perhaps things will change in that regard.
0: Absolutely. It's a, it's a fascinating story. Now, the next one does involve somebody that I think, you know, in the entertainment world, we, we all became very familiar with this, sadly, uh, no longer with us person, Russell.
1: No, it was only last month, wasn't it, that uh, Olivia passed away? Uh, In news that would make the late Olivia Newton-John's heart sing, a team at the uh, ONJ Cancer Research Institute in Melbourne that uh, she helped to build has announced a breakthrough in a potential treatment of deadly pancreatic cancer. Now... uh, They've got a no, it's a novel a novel drug target that can improve the response of pancreatic tumours to immunotherapy. These days, we've talked about this a fair bit. Where the drugs aren't actually tackling the cancers directly, but enhancing our uh, immunisation uh, self, to do it, isn't it, the body to fight these. Um, the cancer is almost completely unresponsive to existing immunotherapy. Now, the plan is to help... Uh, treat the disease by reactivating the immune system to allow it to recognise and remove cancer cells. Now, this pancreatic cancer is a pretty vicious thing. The a survival rate of only 11% uh, to last five years after diagnosis. Uh, studies led by Professor Matthias Ernst. He's Director of ONJ Cancer Research and Head of La Trobe School of Cancer Medicine. Uh, now, it's yet to undergo human trials. Now, what it involves is the innovation of a particular protein, found in a type of immune cell, improved the response of pancreatic cancer to immunotherapy in preclinical models. And the actual immunotherapy with this particular protein was able to reduce the spread of cancer cells to other areas of the body. Now, currently, most patients don't respond to existing anti-cancer drugs. So this could be a good breakthrough for, for that cancer, couldn't it?
0: Yeah, well, look, as we've said many times over, Russell, um, we we... We may be able to do a lot better in certain areas, but in medical research, we certainly contribute uh, significantly to developments. And yes, pancreatic cancer is one of the worst because um, it's not very discernible in the early stages. So you can have it; you can. It's quite advanced and often uh, and very aggressive. So by the time you find out you got it, it's too late anyway. But uh, what is it? Only 11 percent. Of patients who yes. are alive five years after initial diagnosis, so it's it's one of the uh, it's one of the most fatal ones uh, that you can get. So um, let's hope. And this always also goes back to Olivia Newton John's contribution in setting this up. Um, and uh, I think down the track, a lot of people are going to benefit from the, uh, the the foundation that she set up here.
1: Yes, and many people turned up for the walk the other weekend, didn't they? Mm. Uh, mm. Uh, to, to march, often people who've been affected by some sort of cancer, and many of them are grateful to her work, aren't they, for that? Uh,
0: what do you remember her for? What 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 did she stand out? Because um, I remember seeing her as a young singer on one of those, you know, Ian Turpy shows or whatever. You
1: remember um, those days? Yeah, oh, yes, those days, yes. Yeah. I remember uh, she was also on, I think, a few of the television shows too, very early in the piece. She used to go to the places in her school uniform and change there. And uh, she was only about 17 or 18, I think, when she started on that. of course, her great songs of the 70s, you know, I Honestly Love You and Hopelessly Devoted You, they were the start of her success singing, weren't they?
0: Yeah, look, I can remember being a teenager and seeing her um, on television. And she she was always a a very attractive, pretty young girl, wasn't she? You know, and... uh, such a voice, she could just sing, couldn't she?
1: Yes, yes. So, uh, uh, but uh, so this work, as I say, uh, her legacy will uh, live on perhaps with some of these great uh, breakthrough
0: treatments. What was her big breakthrough? I'm just this, this isn't a homework, but uh, <laughs> she she starred in a film with someone who's still with us, uh, and that was the mega breakthrough for Olivia Newton. Jim. Oh,
1: yes, the, with Greece, Greece wasn't yes, yes, and John Travolta. And she wanted to change her image to not so much the nice girl next door, in this, but uh, didn't quite work after the film. She's still always been the nice girl next door.
0: <laughs> Type of uh, characters in her, yes, yes, she she did that role extremely well. Would you take a short break, Russell? I'm sure you can hold the line up there in uh, the gully, as uh, modern technology enables us to to do these sorts of pre-recordings uh, anywhere and everywhere.
1: Yes, no worries.
0: Welcome back to Fewpoints Listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grossack, and I'm in a discussion of what's making news with co host Russell Hanby. Welcome back, Russell. Thanks, Henry. If only the listeners knew what went on during breaks, both in radio studios and in pre recording studios, um, <laughs> they'd certainly at least. Uh, get a laugh or something, wouldn't they, Russell?
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> we I have, I have uh, Rob there uh, doesn't 't uh, knows which buttons to press and when not to.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's interesting in the radio studio, at least with pre-record we can do that, but when you're in the radio studio, there's two things. One is dead air. Dead air is death to a presenter, and the other one is when the microphone's on and um, you think it's off. And I yes. think more than a few presenters over the years and, and high-profile, highly paid ones have Uh, I think actually Ian Chappell, former Australian captain cricketer, uh, who, who was used to using occasionally, I understand, colourful language was caught off here <laughs> saying things. And, and he's not the only one. So. Um,
1: no, but, no the, the golden rule is never swear or say anything inappropriate in a radio studio, even if it's off.
0: That is exactly right. Anyway, moving on, Russell. Census, this is in the age, shows the scale of COVID shift from the city. Australians fled Melbourne and Sydney to escape the harsh reality of COVID lockdowns, but most drew the line at departing their home state as they saw a safe place to ride out the pandemic so people ran away but not too far
1: no we knew that people were leaving and going to the country and things like that and that seems to be what they they did but kept local the 2021 census data showed substantial levels of intra and interstate travel movement out of sydney and melbourne particularly now 79 percent of residents or nearly 20 million lived at the same address as a year earlier So uh, we had about, what, 20% who didn't. Um, Now, over the five years from 2016, say, uh, 41% of people changed address. That means, on the other hand, that 60% didn't. Now... 75% of the 9.8 million who did change address moved within their state. So three quarters of them stayed in the state. Uh, 9% did move interstate and 13% left the country, but the majority did stay within their state. Now, Sydney suffered the greatest loss of local residents, followed by Melbourne. And uh, in fact, uh, in the the suburbs, 7,528 moved from the outer east, like suburbs like Vermont and Bayswater. Gold Coast picked up most of intra- and interstate movements and Geelong gained thousands of people. Now, in Victoria, 58% were living in the same place they were five years ago. Now, that compares with the 2011 census where more than 60% were. Now, of those who did move, 32% uh, moved to a different part of the state or stayed in the same suburb. So there's a big trend to perhaps move house but stay fairly local.
0: And in a, it, it's not really um, that surprising, Russell, given that Australia's got a, is a fairly stable country comparatively. It's not the sort of country where great masses of people are trying to escape uh, as refugees or you know find a better life elsewhere. Um, so given that it's a relatively stable place with um, good lifestyle for most people and opportunities as a, on a comparative basis most people would stay relatively close to to home wouldn't they you'd expect that
1: yes and I suppose when people work and move to uh, rural areas they probably still want to be w- within Cooe of uh, perhaps Melbourne in case they've got to go to meetings and that occasionally
0: you yeah. know yeah now that term within KuE, what, what is, yeah. Where does that come from?
1: Oh, that's an old word. I think it came from about the, the First World War, even earlier, didn't it? It's, yeah. it's, it's, there's a sound called the,
0: that is called kui, isn't it? Kui. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah, it does. It Does it go back to the First World War, that
1: one? Oh, I think it does. I think it's not. you've got, got a good years. memory. Uh, yeah. It's mainly, <laughs> it's mainly the call, of course. I think I see. yeah, there's a uh, the call, uh, isn't the, there? The, the two frequency there carries, I guess. And. Uh, it's a very unique Koo-ee. sound, isn't can it?
0: Can you, Can you say it? Cooey. That's pretty good, Russell.
1: Yeah, that's all right. Yes. <laughs> no, I won't say that now. <laughs>
0: oh my goodness! How do you put up with me? <laughs> don't answer, don't, you don't have to answer that
1: No, you're assuming that I do put up with you but it's still anyway
0: Well, you've only got yourself to blame all those years ago <laughs> when you trained me and mentored me It's your own fault so you get no sympathy No, I'm very grateful to the opportunity you gave me I'll stop being silly Now, um, we've got a great festive season ahead of us according to retailers I read this piece, Russell and I wondered how much of it was based on factual evidence, this prediction, versus wishful thinking. I'll let, yeah. you, I'll let, you, I'll let you explain yeah. it.
1: Well, at the headline, the Herald Sun, the $64 billion festive season the splurge. Australian retailers expect a $64 billion the a holiday season, as uh, customers brush aside higher living costs and rising interest rates to deliver a forecast 3% lift in spending. And uh, yes, the spending spree, they anticipate, will start in the first three weeks of November, which is not far away. Uh, and consumers are set to spend $63.9 billion in the pre-Christmas sales. That's up 3% on last year, and uh, if we narrow it down to Victorians, we're expected to spend about $16.5 on the pre-Christmas sale, up uh, 0.8%. Now, um, Australian Retailers Association and the Roy Morgan and Salesforce have come out with these predictions. Uh, Now, the COVID lockdown and uh, their various travel restrictions ruined Christmas sales in the past two years, and uh, But apparently, confidence remains high now for a bumper holiday period. Uh, Most sales will will be between November the 14th and December 24th. The Australian Retailers Association CEO, Paul Zara, said that after the last two years, there's generally a sense of prosperity. He says people are spending the savings they made in the past two years – And uh, overseas travel costs have gone up about 30%. So families are choosing to holiday in Australia, which will be great for the cafes and restaurants. And they're predicted to flourish with more than $9 billion trade. That's up 16.3% on last year. As you say, whether it's actual facts or whether it's wishful thinking, it it probably does help, though, because people think, oh, yes, we're all spending
0: it is interesting uh, and i said wishful thinking only on the back of real hearing just earlier today russell that petrol prices can be expected to go up to up to $2.15 per litre, um, and interest rates are going to be raised apparently again by the RBA. So, And we're, we're, we've been told that recession is uh, on the horizon possibly for our country. So um, will this be a sort of a last hurrah spend up or will people uh, tread a bit more cautiously given the the looming economic crisis uh, clouds that are gradually or quickly enveloping us.
1: Yes, I don't know. Probably people will say, well, let's worry about that later. Let's have a good time now. I don't know. That might be the thinking.
0: That may well be the thinking. Well, we'll find out. We'll be back here in uh, next year and we'll know whether you've emptied all your money out of your accounts on Christmas gifts and uh, whether I have. and We can swap stories on what we, what we bought for whom.
1: <laughs> we'll see how, yeah, we'll see well, there how we go.
0: we go. Now the odd spot, um, my God, this is a pumpkin and a half of a story. Yes, Travis Ginger
1: or Ginger is uh, getting used to smashing pumpkin records. Earlier this week he won almost thirty seven thousand dollars by growing the largest pumpkin ever recorded in the USA. He nicknamed the one hundred and sixteen kilogram behemoth maverick, strapped it to his truck, and drove 35 hours to enter it in a competition in California. Travers won the same competition in 2020, but this time it broke the US record by less than three kilograms. Maverick weighed about the same as a hatchback vehicle, but it was still 65 uh, kilograms shy of the world record that was set in Germany last year. But it's a massive pumpkin, that one. (laughs)
0: You could be eating pumpkin all year eating that one. I I mean, it's heavier. Heavier than a hatchback, or close to the weight of a hatchback vehicle, and and he called it Maverick. Now, did you ever watch that show, Maverick?
1: Yes, I think back years ago. I can't remember too much about it, but uh, there was a western, of course, wasn't there? A western,
0: think? yeah, and it was a pretty good one at the time. And of course, a Maverick is uh, something which is um, not the not 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 the norm. It's uh, it's out of out of the box, a bit uh, left field or whatever. So and. Then, A pumpkin that size certainly would. My God, he would have needed a truck to carry that.
1: That's right. Yes, I remember when I first started at the radio, they sent me on an OB one Saturday morning, and uh, they had there the, the, was a com- pumpkin competition for the biggest pumpkin, and some local farmer won that competition. It was at the Casey Central Shopping Centre, I think. And uh, Channel Seven were there; It was a big deal. Yeah, so that was one. Of, so when I see these big pumpkin things, it always takes me back to that.
0: Yes, and um, we'll call that quits for now. And um, goodness knows what we'll have in the way of fruit and vegetables vegetable stories of gargantuan size next week if any. Take care the storms are coming but I'm sure you you can always climb up the top of Mount Dandinong there if you get a bit flooded.
1: <laughs> Might have to. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you take care. That was Russell lambie and What's Making News and uh, yes it's a pretty gloomy day and the weather's uh, uh, not looking too good uh, but uh, yeah as I said Russell Russell I'm sure he'll find his way to the top of Mount Dandinong if he needs to.